This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, as we conclude our sermon series on miracles, we'll be looking at the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so we have a reading here from John chapter 11, an interaction between Jesus and Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for directing our lives in such a way that we would be here to hear your word. We pray that you would lead us to believe your word, that the Holy Spirit would change us through that word, and that we would leave here different people than the ones that came. And I pray, Lord God, that you would not let me get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. When was the first time that God burst your bubble? When was the first time that God let you down? Maybe it was that time where the the boss asked you to come into his office and he said, we don't need you anymore. And you know you have those, that, that pile of debt at home and you don't know how you're going to pay. What about when the doctor told you about that life-threatening disease? What about when your spouse said, I don't love you anymore? In those moments, that moment of crisis, you you grew up uh, maybe hearing about Christ or or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you you had this, this belief that God could do miracles and so you filled your heart with faith, something like this. You went to God with a heart filled with faith and you prayed, God, I know you do miracles. I read in your Bible you do miracles. And so, Lord God, I need you to do a miracle. Heal me. Restore my marriage. Allow me to have work. I need to pay these bills. Lord God, do a miracle. But then he didn't seem to respond and he burst your bubble. But you didn't give up. Again, you grew up hearing about the Christian faith, and and so you went back to God, but but maybe this time with a smaller faith, and maybe you had a smaller prayer. Something like this. You went to him with a smaller prayer, and and it was smaller faith, and you said, all right, God, if you're not going to heal me, just take the pain away. If you're not going to restore my marriage, just give me one good conversation. 
If you're not going to allow me to stay at this job, just allow me to pay this next bill. And again, you went praying to him, crying out to him. And again, he didn't seem to answer. He, he burst your, your spiritual bubble, your, your heart. And so now you, you come in here to church today and you're kind of like this deflated balloon. You feel exhausted. You feel worn out. You feel like you have nothing left. And you wonder, why didn't God answer your prayer? You wonder uh, if God is actually there, if he actually can listen. You wonder if maybe there is a God at all. feel deflated. Well, today we're concluding our sermon series, Miracles, Nothing is Impossible. And I suspect that one of the reasons that some of you are here is because you are desperate for a miracle. You knew that there... There's been miracles in the the scriptures in the past. You've heard about them. You've read about them. And you want to know why God is not doing a miracle today in your life. Why he isn't healing you or restoring you or fixing your situation. Why God is not showing up. And so I wonder if you have a, a prayer or a question that goes something like this. And this is the question I want to answer in today's sermon. How does God answer our prayers For miracles. And to answer that question, we're going to go back to John chapter 11. Now, if you were to open up uh, your New Testament, the, the Bible, you know, the Bible is not just one book. It's an encyclopedia of books. It's a library of books. There's 66 books. And, and in the New Testament, it begins with four biographies about Jesus, four separate books. The first three are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It seems like maybe they were following the same template. They talk about the same basic stories, maybe from a little different perspective. But then if you get to the fourth biography about Jesus, the book of John, it's very different. It seems as if John is assuming you've already read the other biographies about Jesus, and he wants to give you a completely different perspective, filling in gaps that that you don't read in the other Gospels. And one of the emphasis of John are his miracles. There's actually seven miracles, kind of a holy number in the Bible, seven miracles that John never calls miracles. He always calls them signs, signs that point to a greater, bigger truth. And as you read through the book of John, um, with every sign, there is a dramatic response. People put their faith in Jesus when he turns water into wine, his first miracle in the book of John, when he heals the blind man, uh, when he he heals the sick, when he feeds the 5,000, when he walks on water. There's always this response. And as the people respond to these miracles, Jesus' renown and and popularity grows and he becomes a threat to the religious leaders. He becomes such a threat that they try to stone him. And so right before our reading, Jesus leaves the area of Jerusalem and Judea and he goes across the Jordan River and he's in the land of Perea. And while he is there, he gets a message from friends of his, Mary and Martha, about their brother Lazarus. And this is what the message is. It says, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
So they send this message with some messengers, and, and these messengers deliver this message, but it's very specific. It's not, Lord, Lazarus is sick, but the one you love. What Mary and Martha are doing is essentially praying. That's what praying is, is when we send God messages, when we, we call upon him and ask him to deliver us, ask him to help us, help us to be with it, to restore us, to, to be with us. And they said, um, you know, you love all people. We know that, Jesus, you are healing all sorts of kinds of people. All people with all different backgrounds that don't really know you very well, but you know Lazarus. He is your friend. He's someone you ate with and spent time with. And so heal him. The one you love is sick. Now, when Jesus receives this message, he responds to the messengers. And he says to them, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. He, he sends this message back that, yes, Lazarus is sick, I know all about it, but it's not going to end in death. That's not how this story is going to end. In fact, what you're going to find is that through this whole account, you're going to see God's glory, and Jesus is going to be glorified through it. Now, what does that mean, God's glory. Well, throughout the Bible, we hear this theme of God's glory. In fact, very often it's a, a visual sign of God, his glorious, fiery presence. We see the, the glory of the Lord descending on Mount Sinai and on the tabernacle, on the temple. And then last week, Pastor Bill talked about how the glory of the Lord separated in flames of fire and descended on the apostles, the New Testament church, is the new temple. But the glory of the Lord is not only his fiery presence, it also represents his character. That God is glorious. In other words, God's goodness. That God is good. And when we think about the glory of God, we're supposed to think God is good. He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of worship. That whatever he does is actually good. But that's not what it looks like in today's reading. It doesn't look like God is good. He doesn't look very glorious because look at what happens in the next verse. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. You know, she said, the one you love. And it's true, Jesus loved them. And that's why it's so strange what it says next. He loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make sense. All right, you love Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They sent you a message that he's sick, and so you stay there two more days? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus, if you really loved Mary and Martha, if you loved Lazarus, you would go and do something about this. You would go to Bethany. And if you're not going to heal him, well, at least spend some time with him. At least hold his hand and comfort him and give him insurance and encouragement. The last thing you would expect love to do is to do nothing. Is to stay there and do nothing. But that's exactly what he does. And, and, and we know what that feels like. We've gone to God with our hearts filled with faith. God, do something. God, respond, do anything at all. Answer my prayer for healing and for hope and for restoration. Do something. And he doesn't do anything. 
He bursts our bubble. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't respond. He doesn't, he doesn't listen. It does, at least it doesn't seem like he does. He seems to do nothing at all. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He waits there two more days, doesn't seem to do anything at all. Well, finally, he does decide to do something. And so we read in verse 7, Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. And the disciples don't understand what's going on. They wonder, why would we go back to Judea? In fact, there's an interaction here in the text we don't have up on the screen where where they said, that's where they tried to stone you. Why would you want to go back there? And so Jesus explains why he wanted to go back to Judea. He said, verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, If he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus knows this, but that's not how he describes it. He doesn't describe it as as death. He says, Lazarus is asleep. And and what a comforting idea for all of us believers that in Jesus, from his perspective, from Jesus' perspective, death is asleep. You're not afraid to go to sleep. And he promises that he is going to wake him up. You're not afraid to get woken up. And that's how Jesus describes death. But they don't understand what he's talking about. And so Jesus has to be very blunt. He said, Lazarus is dead. And yet I am glad I was not there, he says. It seems bizarre. But he says, I'm glad I was not there so that you would believe. And so they decide to go to him. Now by this time, Lazarus, we we hear in the text that, that Lazarus has been dead for four days now. That's an important number because in the ancient Jewish understanding of death, that the the spirit would supposedly hover over the body or hang around for three days. And after three days, the spirit would leave. And so this was John's way of explaining in Hebrew terms that Lazarus was very dead. There was no hope. There was no hope. And so Jesus makes his way finally, slowly. He makes his way to go to the tomb. And on his way to Bethany, Martha comes out to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's like she's going there with, said, I at one time had this heart filled with faith, but now I feel deflated. I I went to you with my prayer. I I thought you were going to do something. If you would have just come when there was still hope, when there was still a chance, if you had just done something, my brother would not have died. And yet, there still seems to be some little glimmer of hope that's in her. Some little belief that God could still work this all out. So he says, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus did have hope. And so he goes on to say in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, Martha, she had the real Christian hope. 
This is the, the Hebrews' hope in the Old Testament, and this is the Christian hope, the resurrection at the last day. And I think it's important for us to stop for a minute and, and talk about this because as I've gone to funerals and I've done many, many funerals over the years uh, and I've attended many funerals, I hear something that doesn't sound very Christian. That many people believe that, that the Christian hope is just to die and go up and float in clouds somewhere. That the death is just about, about going up to heaven. And that's not really what the Christian hope is. Martha says what the Christian hope is. The hope is that we will be resurrected on the last day. Not only will our bodies be resurrected on the last day, our whole world is going to be resurrected. God is going to make a new heavens and new earth. God is going to take all things that have gone wrong and make them right. And Jesus agreed with her. Jesus agreed with her that, that Lazarus and all people would be resurrected on the last day, and yet he wanted her to know where that hope was really found, why she could be so sure of that resurrection hope. So Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever, doesn't matter who you are, whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this? Jesus said, the reason you can have such resurrection hope is because I'm the resurrection. All those hopes of resurrection are found in me, Jesus said. And he said, I'm not only the resurrection, I'm the life. I offer true life. You see, when we think it's all on us, that that when we lost that job or we had that health crisis or, or we, that relationship was strained or broken, and if it's all up to us and we have to fix all of our problems, that's not life. That's not hope. But if we believe in the resurrection and if we believe in Jesus, then we have life. Then it doesn't matter how dead things may seem, how bad things may seem, you can always have hope in the glory of God, in the goodness of God, that he can turn it all into his glory and for his glory. We can believe in him. I remember speaking to a counselor a while back about some of these kinds of things, about you know, being sad or anxious or afraid, and, and I thought I might get some tips as to how to get better and, and improve, and she just said, your problem is, is you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe he's that good. It's a pretty bold thing to say to a pastor. <laughs> you, you don't believe that he actually can work all this out for your good. You don't believe that he's actually here with you. You don't believe. And so Jesus asked her, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I believe that you're still in charge. I believe that you can work all things out. I believe that you're God who's come into our world to make all things right. I believe in you. And so Jesus continues to go on in his journey, and now Mary speaks to him, and he has an interaction with Mary, and, and he's hearing all this bad news. He's getting closer to the tomb, and he starts to weep. 
That's important. We, we hear that Jesus wept at the tomb. He knew all the things that were going to happen. He knew the miracle he was going to do, and he knew the resurrection on the last day. All the good things were happening, and yet in that moment, he wept. And that gives us permission, even encouragement, to grieve. To grieve with Jesus at how twisted this world has become. That God created the world good, filled with life and hope and joy. And we as a human race have turned our back on God. And that is why there is sin and death and wickedness and evil. And so it's okay to grieve when we see that in the world and in our own lives, to grieve. But Jesus doesn't grieve without hope. In fact, it says here in the next verse, verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, he's emotionally moved by the whole scene, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. I'm going to do something about this. Now, Martha objected. This seemed bizarre. This seemed so strange. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. That's how John writes about it. The sister of the dead man. By this time, there was a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Again, emphasizing he's really dead. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That if you believe, you'll see eventually in God's glory, his goodness, that God is right, that he does all things right, that on the last day you will glorify him as God. You did it all the way it was supposed to be. If you believe, you'll see that glory of God. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Up to this point in the book of John, this is Jesus' greatest miracle. This is a high point of his ministry. And the reason he did this great miracle, even though this would create more opposition, people who wanted to kill him because of it, it created the result that he wanted. Verse 45 tells us, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. Even though Lazarus would one day die again, in this moment it created the, the desired result that more and more people came to faith so that they would enjoy the true miracle on the last day, the resurrection of the body. And I think this helps us understand how we can answer this opening question. How does God answer our prayers for miracles? Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says yes. And I think maybe we've all had an experience like that or maybe someone close to us has had an experience like that. We prayed for something. We prayed for that parking spot. We prayed for, we prayed for that job. We prayed, to, we prayed for something, and God seemed to deliver in that moment. Healing, um, maybe something even, you know, totally miraculous. Totally outside of what we usually expect to happen. And so sometimes God answers our prayers, yes. 
but sometimes he doesn't. And he didn't in this case. When Mary and Martha sent that message that you, the one you love is sick, he didn't answer that prayer. He, he, he left them to grieve for four more days. He didn't do anything at all. He didn't answer their prayer. Why? Because he wanted to do something better. And that's how Jesus always works. And so here's how we can fully answer that question. How does God answer our prayers for miracles? He will either answer yes, or he will do something better. So when Jesus doesn't answer your prayer immediately, what you've been praying for, that healing or that restoration or that provision or whatever else it is in your life that you're saying, God, do this. Do this miracle. I know you can do this. The reason he hasn't answered that prayer is because he wants to do something better. Don't take it as a sign that he's uninterested or unable or not there. It's because he is preparing something even more glorious and even better. How do we know this is true? Well, we know it's true because of the story of Lazarus. Jesus didn't heal him from his sickness, let him die so that he could do something better, raise him from the dead. But even more importantly, we know this is true because of the life of Jesus himself. When Jesus was preparing to die, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed the most honor, the most most humble um, prayer you could pray. He said, Lord, Father, If there is another way, take this cup of suffering from me. Jesus prayed that he wouldn't have to go to the cross, that he wouldn't have to suffer. And he prayed desperately and thoroughly and cried out to God, and the Father said no, because he had something better for him. He allowed him to suffer, to go through death itself, to do something better, to save us from our sins, to resurrect him as a preview, as a visual prophecy of what will happen to every one of God's people. The Bible says that one day when Jesus returns, we will be resurrected. In fact, Paul says it this way, he will transform our lowly bodies. That even if he were to resurrect us now, these bodies are lowly bodies. Even if we heal us today, they're decaying bodies. They're bodies that get blood clots. These bodies are, are wearing out. And yet God promises to do something better. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And so here's the main takeaway. Believe in a better miracle. Whatever you're praying for, if God has not answered that prayer in this moment, it's because he has something better for you. 
And I don't know what that better thing is. I don't know what God is going to use your challenge to do. I just know that you and I have a very limited perspective and we can trust, we can believe that God is going to do something better than what we could imagine. And so instead of having this, this kind of faith that you have to keep pumping yourself up like, like this, this balloon that's deflated, I want you to picture here this giant balloon filled with helium. That's you filled with the Holy Spirit, this faith that in the glory of God and the goodness of God. And when you have faith, this, this giant balloon of faith in the glory of God, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to face trials. You're going to face things that don't make any sense. You're going to face pain and suffering. But like that balloon, you'll keep raising again. You'll keep popping back up because you believe in the goodness and glory of God at work, even in the midst of your suffering. And so I want to encourage you, keep praying for a miracle. Keep making big prayers that that God would heal you and restore you and help you right now today But even if he doesn't, he's letting you know that's because he has something bigger for you, something better for you. And we can be absolutely sure about this because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, how does God answer your prayer for a miracle? He will answer it, yes, or I'll do something better. So believe in a bigger Miracle. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, many of us here are caught between that prayer that we prayed and you didn't seem to answer and the promise of your glory, the promise of something better. We're caught in between right now. And so we pray that you would give us faith and belief that you would fill us up with that, with the Holy Spirit, this helium-like faith to keep us rising again with hope, to not give up on life right now, to not give up on you, to not give up, but to believe that you'll be with us, believe in your glory, believe you'll work all things out for our good. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.